As Catholics, we have a great reverence for Mary. At this time of the year, we are naturally drawn to celebrating Mary's unique role in salvation history. As we await the birth of Jesus, we're going to think of her who carried him in the nine months before he was born. Most of our reflections about Mary come from the Gospel of Luke. But while Luke focuses on Mary, Matthew invites us to spend time with Joseph. For the next three Sundays, we have the opportunity to focus on St. Joseph's role in salvation history. Almost everyone in the world has Joseph for a patron saint. He is the patron saint of the Western Hemisphere, as well as the countries of Austria, Belgium, China, Korea, and the Philippines. His feast day is a big deal in Italy. Joseph is the patron saint of a happy death. He is the patron saint of all workers. Countless men around the world have been given his name at their birth or baptism, and others freely choose his name for confirmation. And people bury statues with his image on them when they're trying to sell their homes. We don't approve of that, but people do it. And if you're not covered under any of those categories, Joseph is a patron of the universal church. So that gets, I think that covers us all. Joseph has much to share with us. Let's make the most of the next three weeks before Joseph recedes from our liturgical consciousness until Christmas of 2016. The earliest Christians struggled to reconcile the disparate elements that are placed throughout the New Testament that sort of make us question if we really understand all we know about Jesus' family. For example, Jesus several times speaks in the Gospels about his brothers and sisters. In other books in the New Testament, call James the brother of the Lord. Why do we believe that Mary remained ever virgin? How could the carpenter Joseph support his family in Egypt, where he presumably couldn't speak the language, or in Nazareth, where presumably he had no extended family? Why is Joseph never mentioned during Jesus' adult life? Well, one of the first solutions to all these problems was a book called the Proto-Evangelium of James. Now, if you ever watch some of those conspiracy theory documentaries, and they talk about the books that were left out of the Bible, this is one of those books. But I think in a second you'll understand why we've decided this is not inspired scripture. According to the Proto-Evangelium, Mary was taken to the temple at the age of three, and she lived there. She was brought up within the temple. There is no record of anyone actually growing up and living in the temple. But this is what the Proto-Evangelium says of Mary. And at the age of 12, men throughout Judea gathered outside the temple to try to win her hand in marriage. One man planted his staff in the ground, and it immediately burst forth with oleander flowers. His name was Joseph. Joseph was a wealthy man, 90 years old. He had six children from his first marriage to a woman named Melka, and the youngest child was named James. So there you have it, answers to all our questions. But we laugh. Joseph, a wealthy man, 78 years older than Mary? Well, thank goodness we don't think that way anymore. Or do we? If you go to Wikipedia, here's the first image you'll see of St. Joseph. I was looking out. I don't think any of the men in the room look as old as this man, and some of you are great-grandfathers. 
How about this one? Okay, slightly younger, but I'm looking at several of you who have uh, sons and daughters in their 20s, and you don't look like that. Maybe this one, he's just prematurely gray. How about that? But he's holding oleander flowers. As is he in this image. Actually, many, many of the icons of St. Joseph show him holding, holding oleander. But thank goodness we don't really think of this story too much. When I see images like that, I think about the leaders of our church. Men, mostly older, mostly white, unmarried. We complain about the limited role that women have in the church. But it seems that even the men who we envision as leaders or the men we envision as saints, we really seem to be most comfortable if they're um, emasculated. That's not how I imagine St. Joseph. I imagine him as a young man, a devout Jew, betrothed to Mary, a woman he probably didn't know that well. And then he learns that she's pregnant, and he knows he's not the father of the child. St. Matthew says, quote, Joseph was unwilling to expose her to shame. That's a very pleasant, euphemistic way of saying he decided not to have her stoned to death as was his right by the Mosaic law. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking with an undergraduate student here who is going through his first uh, round of doubts about the existence of God and the, the beliefs in Christianity. And he said to me, he said, why can't God speak to me like he spoke to St. Joseph? I said, well, let's look at this passage. And it says, quote, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Well, that's not exactly the voice of God speaking directly, is it? It was an angel, and it was in a dream. When Joseph woke up, do you think he ever had doubts that he had made the whole thing up? However it happened, Joseph sticks with Mary and raises her child as his own. Now, Joseph, I believe, was a very devout Jew, but you can read the Torah frontwards and backwards. You're not going to find any instructions on how to be the stepfather of God. Joseph had to make it up as he went along, praying, trusting, doubting, experimenting, never having absolute certainty that he was truly following God's will. This year is the 150th anniversary of the most famous homily ever given by Isaac Thomas Hecker, the founder of the Paulist Fathers. He gave that homily on March 19th of 1863 at the Church of St. Paul the Apostle in New York City. And that homily was about St. Joseph. Father Hecker said that Joseph is a great role model for each of us. Because we, like Joseph, have to struggle throughout our lives to discern God's plan. Or, to use the more highfalutin language of Father Hecker, I will quote, To find God and be one with God, a solitary life in the desert was not necessary to St. Joseph. He was in the world and found God where he was. He sanctified his work by carrying God with him into the workshop. Our age is not an age of martyrdom, nor an age of hermits, nor a monastic age. 
although it has its martyrs, its recluses, and its monastic communities, these are not, and are not likely to be, its prevailing types of Christian perfection. Our age lives in its busy marts, in counting rooms, in workshops, in homes, and in the varied relations that form human society. And it is into these that sanctity is to be introduced. St. Joseph stands forth as an excellent and unsurpassed model of this type of perfection. So with Father Hecker's image of Joseph in mind, can we think of Joseph more as a regular guy? Here's a few other images that you have to search a little harder on the internet to find of St. Joseph. Now there's a guy that I'd be willing to ask help me fix my car or maybe serve in the Big Brothers and Sisters program. This one looks like a family man. These last two are by my friend uh, Mickey McGrath um, of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. In modern dress, this Joseph sure looks like somebody who actually knows his way around a wood shop. And I don't think they dressed this way in Palestine 2,000 years ago, but I think it speaks to us today. <laughs> we are the church. We are all called to holiness, including working stepfathers. When Father Hecker was asked to explain his vision for the church or his vision for the Paulist fathers, he often referred people back to this homily in 1863 about St. Joseph. Back then, it was a pretty unusual idea to talk about the best way of pursuing holiness to be in the workplace and the home. But today, we don't hear that as a really radical concept, thanks in part to the ideas of Vatican II, Pope Paul VI, and a guy who's been everywhere the last few months named Pope Francis. About six years ago, Cardinal Egan of New York enthusiastically opened the cause for Father Hecker's canonization. On that very spot where Father Hecker gave this homily, the Church of St. Paul the Apostle. And at this time, Father Hecker is buried in the back of the room in a sarcophagus. That is the same place where I was ordained a priest and where hopefully you're all tuning in your DVRs at 11.35 on Tuesday night to see Father Eric's production of um, the telling of the Christmas story with Regis Philbin, a parishioner of ours, narrating. Check the bulletin, it's in there. Anyway, back to Father Hecker. Now that he has had his sainthood canonization process opened, we can officially call him a servant of God. And today is the 125th anniversary of his death, December 22nd, 1888. You can help support the cause by learning more about Father Hecker and about how his ideas are still so relevant today. When St. Joseph was a young man, he found himself in a unique role in the salvation history of the universe. He followed dreams. He traveled to exotic places. He continued throughout his life to try to follow God's will. When Isaac Hecker was a young child, he contracted smallpox and lived. And he believed that God had saved him to do something great in service of God. 
but he didn't know what it was. He also had dreams. He also traveled to exotic places, including Egypt. And he believed and trusted. And it took more than 30 years before God revealed to him to found the Paulist Fathers. St. Joseph and Isaac Hecker struggled to discern the will of God throughout their lives. Why should it be any different for us? We have to make it up as we go along. Trust in God. Pray. Doubt. Experiment. Follow your dreams.